Boom. Hello and welcome to the Executive Protection Lifestyle Podcast, Season 2. With your host, Byron Rogers. This podcast is dedicated to the Executive Protection Practitioner, the Private Security Professional. In this podcast, we're going to talk about the mental, emotional, psychological, physiological fitness that goes into being an efficient and effective Executive Protection Agent. Whether you're in law enforcement, whether you're a mom that's looking at how to protect her children or a father that's focused on how how to protect his family. I believe this podcast has something for all of you. We might even get into some tales from the crypts of true Hollywood stories from time to time. I'm doing this podcast because I feel the reality of this job is simple. If you really want to be good at executive protection, it's more than just a job. It really is a lifestyle. And those of you who've been in the game for any serious amount of time, you already know what I'm saying is true. So if that sounds interesting to you, Enjoy the show. Out. Boom. What's up, you guys? Byron Rogers here for another episode of the Protector Podcast. And I got to say this one, I'm always excited, but and then it's always a special guest, but this one's a special guest and I'm really excited uh, to be able to spend some time with a man I've got tremendous respect for. Uh, Basil Baz, how you doing, sir? Good, Byron. How are you? God bless you, man. It's good to see you. Uh, thanks so much. It's always good to see you as well, sir. I've interviewed a lot of folks and everyone's special in their own way, but there's a there's a certain type of, I don't know, like a grounded, you know, that you, you have, you carry a different energy with you. And uh, I really do, I really do respect that. I appreciate it. And I hope that, I hope that I can also embody that as well, you know, as I grow and mature and all those types of things. I think you already have it, man. I don't think, <laughs> you, I don't think you're going to want for much of that. I think you have plenty of it. Thank you. That means the world. That means the world. So I guess we'll jump right into it. You know, uh, you've lived the life of a warrior. I have always uh, sought to understand that, you know, because it's there's a lot that we should be trying to take and understand about people that have been able to achieve that. Um, you know, you've, you've Marine Corps, uh, anti-terrorist units and CIA and um, you've got some awards and things like that, but just for everyone else's orientation, would you mind just kind of going through, you know, where you've been and what you've done for the listeners, sir? Sure. Thank you, Byron. Uh, I'm a Soto graduate, uh, class of 78. Uh, I was captain in the Marine Corps. I was one of the Marine Corps' first counterterrorism officers, uh, particularly after we uh, got hit in Beirut and lost 220-some Marines there. Uh, I got put on a special staff to come up with the Marine Corps' counterterrorism program, which was, uh, which was an honor. And uh, soon after that, I was recruited by the CIA and entered into special operations as a paramilitary case officer for Ground Ranch uh, and, mil- and Maritime. Uh, Ground Ranch, as you know, sometimes being referred to as the, the president's secret hand. It's kind of a cool name for, you know, a bunch of, bunch of guys undercover, right? Uh, and uh, had had the the great honor of serving with uh, some of the most amazing war fighters of, in history, outside of the people that I personally knew, like my father and my grandfather and and other people that had served prior to me, um, who you know we always try to follow in their footsteps, uh, particularly if they're honorable men and women uh, in our military services. But uh, when I got in the agency. Um, I started meeting some ex- an exceptionally unique breed of warfighter, mm-hmm. and um, uh, P- 
people that were part of an organization that basically got sent out alone often to handle a task, got often sent on one-way missions and returned. And either by their, their, their tenacity or their skill level or their good luck or by God's divine intervention, they returned and, um, and returned with, you know, great debriefings on, on the scenario and their situation. And so for we who would go out later, you know, we tried to learn from that. Um, you know, I, I will tell you right off the bat what I did learn from some of the most skilled of those uh, warfighters, heroes, whatever we want to call them, in the clandestine service. Uh, I learned that discretion was the greatest part of valor. And um, so um, with that, it, it allowed me personally to walk a little more silently in my character um, and realize that uh, life after that wasn't going to be full of a lot of war stories. And quite honestly, for a lot of people that you and I know that have been downrange, they don't have a lot of war stories. Oh, we might get among ourselves and kind of joke about, hey, remember when you were in Kandahar, that thing that you did or mm, something that like that. That goofy thing like, you did or that, right. you know, that time you fell right. down the stairs on a night op and woke everyone up, you know. <laughs> right, that kind of stuff. But uh, other than that, you know, it's, it's, it's a life where you kind of, you're grateful for your past, but you don't live in your past. You move forward because there's so much more to do. Oh, yeah. So, and, and then I did. And then, of course, after that, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I became the founder of the Association for the Recovery of Children. Uh, I got to a point, and, and you've heard the story, where there was something bigger than overthrowing small governments, jokingly. And, um, and that was rescuing abducted American children. When now we have the 501c3 of former intelligence, military and law enforcement officers that are dedicated and have been since 1993 to the safe recovery of missing and exploited or in this case, sexual traffic, uh, sex trafficked American children here. And that's what I spend the majority of my time doing. Wow. Unless you get stuck in the Congo and then of course your insurance company will pay me to come get you out and that will pay my mortgage. <laughs> that is, that is, that's, that's a, I've, I've been to the Congo. It was interesting <laughs> I, I like to say it, the yeah. least. You know, yeah. <laughs> say the least that's awesome i love all that you know it's um the a few things you said that really stood out to me was you know it sounds like you you're part of a lineage of war fighters and, and men who've served i'm finding it interesting that a lot of the high functioning folks that are kind of in that military space uh come from that background um it seems to be a theme which then, you know, gives me great pride that I was able to do that because, you know, I'm the really the first one in my family that's done that. So it's like kind of it's kind of like, wow, you know, this this is something that I, you know, that for everyone that served out there, this is something that you're doing for your family and you're putting into your family kind of culture that uh, uh, can really be a positive for a lot of people. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're exactly right. You, you know, whether, whether it's, you know, it may have not been your time before or your or father's time or your grandfather's time, but uh, there's obviously something in your DNA that said, I need to go do this. And uh, I don't think that is something in my experience that people just one day wake up and go, I think this will be a really cool thing to do. <laughs> I, I don't think it's that way. I think there's something gets triggered 
and, and, it's, and it's probably in your DNA and you just go, this is something that I must do. And so Absolutely. for you, uh, yeah, maybe you're starting this long line of war fighters, who knows, from here on out. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's, that's, yeah, that's great. That's great. And then the, uh, uh, arc, you know, that organization, the things that you're doing now, I think is a really beautiful, um, kind of like a crescendo of, um, the culmination of everything you've learned in that warrior's life and that warrior's path that's being really devoted to something really righteous and, you know, defending those people who can't defend themselves, man, that's something that, that really gets me excited. So I'm really glad to hear that you guys are doing that. I, I think that being a warrior is the ultimate uh, act of service, you know, being a protector is the ultimate act of service. No greater love than this that you lay down your life for someone else. And that's, you know, that's stuff. That's exciting. True. Man. It is. And I don't know, I don't know, Byron, if everybody can do it. I think that a lot of people that think they're, they're, let me, I'll say this carefully. I think people that think they are going to go out and try to be heroes, whatever the definition of heroes are, uh, I don't think it works out real well. I don't, I think the guys that are just like you express, just are willing to lay down their life for the greater cause, for those who can't defend themselves. If when the smoke clears, we're still standing, you know, then people call us heroes. Uh, you know, as well as I do, we don't, we don't, we don't, call ourselves that you know right. most of the time it's just like look i was just there i was just doing my job doing my job that's what it is yeah it's like, and, thank god it worked out but yeah, i was doing my, and i was ready to do my job if i had to do it do the rest of it you exactly know exactly right so but there is the difference between the the distinction between those war fighters and others who attempt to be heroic so to speak by their own uh design or by their own whatever it may be, motivation or yeah, work, yeah. yeah, whatever. Um, I think the distinction is that um, we just do it and you don't know why you do it. You just go, you just go. And at the end of the day, it's like, I, I, man, okay, I guess we. I knew I needed to, I just, I knew I needed to do it. So I did it. Exactly. It's funny. Um, there's a lot, as I study protectors, a lot of what I get back is just, I've just always been a protector. I just have always kind of been like this my whole life. And, um, there's something deep, deep, deep inside of us. I think some of us that yeah. really, that really speaks to awesome. So who would you say, who is Basil Baz at, who are you at your core? This is one of my favorite opening questions, man. That's a, that's a big <laughs> Going deep We're diving right now. Oh my gosh. You know what? Actually Byron, real quick before, a, before I that? get into that one, give you a couple more minutes. So for the listeners here, you know, um, I've been, you know, interacting with Baz and, you know, and, and, and learning more about ARC. And if you're looking for an organization that's the real deal, that really, really, really actually helps children, uh, I'd like you to make sure you go and check out the links at the end of this podcast and get connected with ARC because they're the real deal. And you know, these days that can be kind of difficult to find and discern. So I want to make sure you guys know that. The uh, opening question, who are you at your core, brother? Man, you know, I, I don't think anybody's ever asked me that. And I, and I don't know if I've ever sat, I, you know what, Byron, I guess I'm just a, I'm just a guy that guy, guy God called to do stuff to serve. That's it. 
I'm just a servant. You know, um, it's, I've had a pretty mysterious life. I have a pretty interesting heritage that dates back to the days of Noah that's been documented. It's really crazy. Um, I've been, my life has been filled with um, biblical proportion miracles um, that unless you were standing there next to me, you, you would go, it's right. impossible. This can't happen. Okay. Um, it's, you know, there's a, it's a, the whole, my life has been in, encased in that whole mind, body, spirit atmosphere. You know, I, I remember when I was about 10 years old, Byron. Um, and it's funny how you can have one moment in life mm-hmm. and it will alter your journey for the rest of your life. Absolutely. And uh, when I was a little kid, I used to climb up in trees and the wind would blow. And uh, I thought that's where God was. Mm-hmm. And I would sit and talk to God. And, um, and uh, I, I got connected. And when I was 10 years old, I remember saying my prayers in the night. And, um, and I just said, dear God, you know, just make my life a, a great adventure. I remember that. You know, take care of mom and dad, take care of my sister, but let my life be this great adventure. And Byron, I promise you, I'm lying, I'm dying. It, if I, it has been one most incredible adventure. I mean, you know, it is as if you asked to be there. It'd be like, Lord, let me go into the burning building and save them. And then there's a burning building and you go in and you do it, you know. That's awesome. uh, You know, and so it's been full of, people from all around the world of every culture, every age that you can think of from sitting in the streets with the homeless and, and, and having a friendship to sitting and dining with a president of a country, you know, mm-hmm. to infiltrating, you know, bad guys. And, you know, it's just, it's been bizarre. I mean, you could write a million books, you could do a thousand movies. And so, yeah. I think that all of those experiences continue to grow me, but at the end of the day, and I do this a lot, you, you've been up here, you know where I live. At the end of the day, when I go on the high ground and I sit, I, I'm just a grateful guy. That's it. I'm just a grateful guy. Man, it's so, it's so good. You know, it's so, it's so meaningful because I completely, I can agree. I can understand so much of it. Like at the end of the day, all I got is his grace for everything he's given me, you know, and all the, what I've survived, you know, and, 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 and answering all those things that I asked for. And, 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 uh, so I, that's, that's amazing. You know, at the end of the day, it's just like, I feel the same way. Like I'm just, there's just so much gratitude. It's like, it's almost crushing, honestly, (laughs) to be honest with you. It's almost stronger than me, you know, I gotta like, you know, to, yeah. to just be you know, thankful for everything. That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, a servant. That's outstanding. That might even be the, might even be the title of this thing. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you get into uh, what you're doing? Um, what, into what you into rescuing kids, you mean? Yes, sir. Well, 1993, you remember we had a, an incident called uh, Plycock Down. It took place sure. in Mogadishu, Somalia. Well, there was a civil war going there. And... Um, I was uh, honored to be a part of a couple of CIA paramilitary teams that went in and joined up with some attachments called Center Spike that were part of the army. And, uh, and of course we were there to gather intelligence and a few other things. 
And uh, this was prior to the Black Hawk Down incident happening. In fact, the CIA actually had teams in before anybody was actually in there, which is pretty typical of, of ground branch. Okay. Um, because you need, you know, the embassy needed to be reopened. They needed to get boots on the ground so they could start giving uh, sit reps to conventional forces or the SEALs or the Marine Corps or whoever. And so uh, I went in. Uh, I had a small attachment of Marines with me, which was great. Um, and we had a safe house. And uh, on a given day, um, we were running operations and we saw two little girls hiding in, underneath some debris. And um, we noted their location. Uh, and the, the unusual things, they were dressed unusual. They had green t-shirts on and blue jeans and aviator glasses. And it was like, they weren't local. Um, and they didn't fit in very well at all. And so we just basically noted their location, Byron, and then uh, chalked it up for collateral damage. Yeah. But that night when we got back to the safe house, um, something stirred among all of us. And we just were restless thinking that those two little girls would not survive the next day. Um, but we, we couldn't bring them to the safe house. Uh, you know, and uh, we certainly shouldn't even be rescuing kids because we were doing other things for operations, you know, and uh, we discussed it and everybody kind of agreed that, you know what, it's just part of war, you know, and um, cause we didn't have a place to take them. And so we had an Intel briefing, um, one of our really good case officer, Rich, we won't mention his last name, came in, gave a great briefing. And then as he was leaving the room, Byron, he said, oh, yeah, by the way, he goes, this is crazy, crazy American lady who just opened up like an orphanage here in the war zone. And then the light bulb went off and we went, whoa, that's where we'll take him. So the next day, um, we got our battle gear on and we went looking for him. Um, when we went back to the location, our, our, our hearts sunk because they were nowhere to be found. We thought uh, window of opportunity was gone. And yeah, I bowed my head and I just, I remember saying, God, I, I think I'm doing what you want me to do. What's up? Where are where's they? The, yeah, where's the, yeah, I know I'm, and, yeah, I'm uh, supposed to be here. Where's the, yeah, exactly. The, the, payoff, but, yeah. Uh, the Red Sea didn't open. No, mm -hmm. you know, thunder didn't come from the sky. Fact, God didn't say anything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the silence. Quiet. Uh, mm -hmm. So finally, after like literally like 20 minutes of looking for him, we just loaded up and started to drive away. And then all of a sudden, our translator, Ibrahim, he says, stop, stop. And we looked and they appeared out of nowhere. And so we were able to take them to the orphanage. And even later, days later, we were able to reunite her, those kids with their mother and their younger brother who had been put in a refugee camp. And these were the children of, a, uh, I believe, an Italian engineer that probably had a family in Italy and had a, and had them as a family in Mogadishu. And when the war got hot, he either got killed or he abandoned them or whatever. But when I got back to the States, uh, that gnawing at my soul about children, which was really weird. Cause let me tell you something. I love being a spy. <laughs> yeah. The paramilitary case offers like the coolest job on the really? planet for the rest of your life. I mean, <laughs> you're jumping, you're shooting, you're crawling, you're hiding, you're doing super stuff, you know? I mean, yeah. you know, no one knows what you're doing. They're sending you all over the world. <laughs> I mean, it's like, who would give up that life, right? It's everything every like little boy wants everything to be every ever. Everything every little boy. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> exactly awesome. Right. 
and and my dream had come true because uh, you know there I was I was one of the one of them yeah the secret hands but um, and little did I know when I got back to the states this gnawing I thought and that it was going to change my life and I so I went out to law enforcement and I started asking hey what's what's the deal with missing kids in America do we do we have any and, and Byron, I promise you, at that time, I thought there was no missing kids yeah. ever in this country. I mean, the thought of a kid missing, I thought all kids lived in a home. Yeah. You know, they lived with their, their parents or grandparents, or maybe they were in an orphanage. But I thought kids had some place to be and everybody loved them. And if they went missing, like the world would stop and everyone would look until they found the kid. Like, that's exactly kind of what right. I, you know? Yeah, just, just like, you know... Uh, uh, and Andy and Mayberry, you know, movie, mm -hmm. you know, it was like, Hey, this is what's going to happen. Right. But when I started checking with local law enforcement, that wasn't what was happening. And uh, I had some very good law enforcement friends, uh, that were very straight with me. And they said, look, we have 250,000 kids missing as of this year. And that was 1993. They said, they're not a priority for us. Homicides, terrorism, car theft, these are priorities and this is what we've been, this is the budget that was given to us and this is what we use it for. And wow. we just count most of these kids as what we call runaways and that's it. And they said, and besides that, they said, we have jurisdictional issues. We can't just go into another county or into another state. We have budgetary constraints. We have communication problems. We, I mean, everything that you could think of and I don't want to say they were excuses because they weren't, but it's everything, every obstacle you could think of that would prevent you from rescuing kids. That's what was being thrown at me. And so I walked away with it. And I remember I sat with it for a couple of days. I went hiking up in the Blue Ridge Mountains and I sat there and uh, it just didn't sit well with me. These were like, it was inexcusable. I just thought, at least for me, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And I don't even know if I can make a difference in this world because if there's 250,000 kids, I mean, how do you rescue a kid? What do you do? I mean, where are they? You know, I mean, I didn't know. And so, uh, so, but I knew something stirred in my heart. And so I just said, God, if you want me to do this, you're going to have to make it work because I don't know what I'm doing. I didn't know where to find them. And it wasn't long after that, that the doors started opening, Byron. People would, call, I mean, associates, like the people that I checked with in law enforcement, a guy called me up, he says, hey, remember you were at my office last month? He goes, hey, guess what? I got one for you. You want to, you want to go, you want to go get this kid back? I was like, yeah, okay, sure. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. So I figured, you know, I had all that CIA trade crap and I thought, you right. know what? I'm going to use that. I'm going to be, use those invisible things, you know, mm. and I'm not going to kick a door in. I'm going to look for windows of opportunity. And so as it would turn out, the first rescues that I did were pretty gnarly. They were out of the country. Uh, they were cartel related. Um, I won't talk about them because I don't want those guys ever knowing who went and got, but it was a case where a woman had married a guy, a, a very high ranking cartel official. And he basically just took her kids out of America and when he got him back and it was a it was a non-custodial parental abduction and uh, and so it just started from there on and then about 1996 i i was engaged in this on my own time from 93 to 96. Wow. Um, i didn't really tell anybody in the agency 
Um, I, I wasn't, I didn't think I was doing anything illegal because I was doing it on my own time, like Thanksgivings and Christmases, um, which are great times, by the way, because guess what happens when perpetrators what? take kids for thank, Thanksgiving and Christmas, they think everybody's busy okay. and they're not waiting to have somebody sneak up on them, to be honest with you. So, I mean, you know, it's crazy, but so it's open. Yeah. It's like open season if you're working. <laughs> right. Exactly. So when the enemy's not working. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I am um, about around 1996. Uh, it was such a burden on my heart um, that I had to make a, a huge decision on whether I was going to give up something I loved more than anything in the world. And that was my association with the agency um, and the people at the agency. And I, no one knew exactly what my true motivation for leaving was going to be. And I, I just said, okay, this is time to go do this. And, and the reason it was is because there was a kid that had gone missing and I knew where the kid was. And I, I had to go on an assignment during that month and couldn't get that kid. Um, when I got back off that assignment, that kid wasn't alive any longer. So that turned my heart um, drastically. And so, um, you know, so I made a choice. I made a decision. I got out. Um, and I don't think any of the guys in the organization, in the agency knew what I was up to, what I was going to do. Um, they just kind of figured I probably got out. And then, uh, I started the association for the recovery of children. And, um, soon people, uh, started knocking on the door, so to speak and saying, Hey, I'm a former tier one operator and uh, I served with you over here. Do you remember me? And I'd be like, no, not really. I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, was that an alias? Was that a true? Um, yeah. And then um, people started asking and then I had a core group of people. I had a guy that had worked with me in the past, uh, a number of guys, uh, George Saganic came out of Pittsburgh. He was a former uh, Pittsburgh sniper and George jumped on board to help and, uh, and then the next thing you know, Thad Turner, former Navy SEAL that we served together. And then Juan Gonzalez, uh, former SEAL, you know, Army Ranger type. And then Kurt. And the list just kept growing. And that what was so interesting about this, Byron, is that I was really upfront with these guys. I said, I can't pay you anything. I can't pay you. And they all, every one of them said, we don't want to get paid. We just want to go save kids. The right hearts, yeah. <laughs> so it began, and uh, and now we get flooded with uh, resumes like weekly, mm -hmm. uh, people wanting to, and and uh, it's a matter of trying to uh, build out arc uh, and uh, you know create a, an environment uh, where people don't have to do what I do. Like I like I ended up in the film industry because it allowed me to make money on the side. You know, you could shoot like for a couple of months and then you could spend the next couple of months going rescuing kids with that money. Yeah. So if the, the, the film industry was get, offered me the flexibility and there were a number of people in the film industry, like my dear, one of my dearest, dearest friends, almost like, like would be a brother to you and I, uh, yeah. Michael Watkins, uh, who was the executive producer on the blacklist. Michael had such a heart for, for saving children as well. And he, he knew at least I had a little bit of talent, you know, <laughs> and yeah. uh, he said, come on, you know, 
let's, I'll get you on the show. And, and not because he cut me a break because evidently he needed that character and it just, right. it all fell together. And other people mm -hmm. in the film industry would say, wait, you have this talent, you, you, you do well in front of the screen. So, mm -hmm. um, we'll hire you also. And because we know what you're really doing. So a lot of great people, wow. a lot of great yeah. people have stepped up to the plate so that we could go rescue more kids. And so now this is where we are, you know, years later, we're one of the oldest NGOs out there. Um, and you yourself have taken our very intense uh, equipping course. So, you know, and can speak yes. to what we do and, and who we are when it comes to actually teaching people how to go actually rescue kids. So absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was a literally from ground zero, uh, how you can set up your own operation and become effective at rescuing kids and rescuing children. And it was, you know, it's like for executive protection and protection training, there's some courses you go to, that are like by the book state department, um, this is how we do it, you know, and then there's other, uh, and usually it's not really courses, it's relationships that give you this type of information. And it's right. like, this is the guerrilla warfare trade craft. This is really what we do is it, what happens is you go through your school, then you get on the streets or in the sand and your big brother takes you and says, Hey, this is really how it works out here. And yeah. that's what that course was like, you know, and uh, it was, it was amazing to be able to sit there and be like, this is what's really happening in the world with regards to this. Uh, and then also even everything around being able to recognize the signs, being able to recognize how children are getting put in this position, being able to recognize the different gangs and the different entities that are out there. Um, and then understanding how to build your own organization and NGO around um, and do your part to, and, and then all the different understanding, all the different ways you can serve, you know, and, you know, on the spectrum of very intense to, you know, less intense, but just as important, you know? So I was, that was, that, that one course changed my life. I will say yeah. that. And, and I have been, it definitely changed my life, you know, and, and, you know, I'd probably say not a day since that has actually been the same. Cause it just, you ain't going to go to that course and not have some things to think about. <laughs> Unless you're just not, I mean, you know, you're a different kind of person, maybe. You know, yeah, yeah, so yeah, that that is amazing. So I'm grateful to be doing it. We don't we don't make a living now, but you know that. Uh, but it is needed now. As of this past year, as I mentioned uh, before, uh, and, and you heard this, we had this year, 2019, we had uh, 421,000 American children missing. Wow, 21,000 missing. It's like and child pornography was a three billion dollar annual business. So the question is, where are they keeping all the kids before they put them on camera? Or how are they transporting them? I mean, that's, that's a lot of kids. Um, and yet with all the stuff that's happening in the United States uh, um, and all the focus on the elections and on Antifa and BLM and the Communist Party and the rioting in Portland and all over the place, you know, the, the, the idea that there's actually children missing, I don't think, I don't think it even crosses people's minds, to be honest with you. I don't think they know that that world exists, um, but it does. It really does. So, you know, you've heard people say, pick your battles. Um, yeah. And you have to, we can't be involved in all of them. Uh, for guys like yourself and myself, of course, we'll always be, you know, we took an oath to defend the constitution against enemies, foreign and domestic, and we'll always 
stand our ground as patriots. We'll be the last line of defense for the Constitution and that. But uh, there's about 50 other battles, and you have to pick outside of that which other one you're going to get. And ours happens to be saving children. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. What year was that statistic from the 421,000? Uh, 2019. Yeah, just okay. last year. Wow, that number is huge. Um, and yeah, we you get called to different battles. Like there's certain ones that you just feel like this is where I need to show up. You know. Um, yeah. I guess moving, switching gears slightly, and we're going to definitely come back to that, uh, to, to the children for sure. Um, what would you say uh, if you had takeaways from different, uh, takeaways from different times in your life, what would you say you, if you had one takeaway from your time with the Citadel, what would that be? Discipline. Heck yeah. <laughs> you get through there, you can get there yeah. any place. <laughs> Yeah. That's yeah. When they called that place, the Lords of Discipline, it, it was, um, you know, right there, they, they have an honor code there. You don't mm -hmm. lie, cheat or steal or tolerate those who do. I mean, there was, it's honor. It, it's just, in a, I, maybe honor, maybe not discipline, maybe honor. Okay. What I took away from there, you know? Wow. That's good to know. Good. To, that's good stuff. What would you say about your time, uh, with the Marine Corps, uh, counter-terrorist unit first to fight buddy first to fight. <laughs> first to fight we're not gonna wait for somebody else to do it you know yeah it's like once a marine always a marine you know it's uh the esprit de corps and the pride mm -hmm. and the history that we had in the marine corps i'm gonna tell you something once a marine always a marine there is no other no other service like it like my dad's yeah, green beret i love yeah. him my honoring uh, we, we both have friends in the air force and navy and the army and guess what you're not a marine you're not a squat man <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's something to it man it really is and, and you just know we got that you have that engine in there and you just there's just something about a marine and you just know you know it's great yeah. it's really it's i've tried to articulate it about a million times you just can't you yeah. just kind of either know or you don't kind of thing that's funny well you were in a rink or i don't know if you remember this going through boot camp but i remember when i went through a bulldog my gunny used to say, we've done so much for so long with so little that we can do anything with nothing. And <laughs> it was true because you remember the Marine Corps, we, we're the smallest. Yeah. Um, and, and for years, we were always the guys getting all the second, the hand downs, the second hand gear, the, oh, the yeah. junk, you know, after yeah. the, the Army, Air Force, the Marine Corps, or, I mean, the Navy, they got all the first rate stuff. I mean, our yeah. housing sucked, you know, yeah. we got, we got all our gear remember and yet and yet we're victorious on the battlefield buddy oh yeah no it's so true and it's the exact same when i got there i had yeah. i had a, a pistol with no glue on it it was like all the paint was missing like everything we got was secondhand it was it'd been through like the vietnam era stuff we were getting we we're going to uh, iraq it was uh we're in squad bays everyone else is these barracks like these beautiful barracks where i i on a march through soi walked by this this squad bay and it, was, it said condemned 1985 i was born in 85 so i'm like wow that thing's been condemned forever walk by this squad bay and i just remember thinking like man i hope i don't end up in this place and sure enough that was the squad bay i had to clean out and repaint because I was going to be the guy because we had to live in there. So yeah, yeah man. And it was, uh, that's how it is. That's good. To yeah. Go. 
You know, it's funny because a lot of people, if they're not in the Marine Corps, uh, they, if they, they see, and, and fortunately we have eighth and I that's just so spit and ball or something. It's pretty impressive, you know, and it, it's nice that everybody thinks that guys like you and I are like eighth and I guys, you know? Yeah. We're, we're, we're wearing white gloves. And, you know. <laughs> oh, and then we can spin a rifle like that, you know, but, yeah. uh, but I tell people in, that, especially when I'm talking to millennials and they go, mm. well, I, I don't really understand what's the Marine Corps like. And I go, so did you ever see the movie, The 300? Yeah. <laughs> and they go, that's oh, I love unit. that movie. You go, that's the Marine Corps, buddy. <laughs> yeah, literally, that's a great and unit, man. It kind of is. You know, it's our, yep. we, we, we hold our ground. We fall where we stand, you know. And, and, and in all fairness to so many of our brothers and, yeah. and sisters in arms that are a part of other armed forces, you know. And they're awesome. You man. know, they, we, I'm so glad that they're there because I've served with all of them. But you know, and if all truth be known in our hearts of hearts, you know, Marines are Marines and we're going to always feel that way about each other. <laughs> it's so true. It's so good. That's awesome. What would you uh, take away from the, the, your time with the CIA and ground branch? You know what? Stand first in the fight okay. and stand back in the, um, you know, uh, stand back for the victory. In other words, Go do your job and let everybody else take credit for it. Nice. Nice. You know, just unselfish service. You know, uh, when I was in special operations, they made it very clear. No one's going to know what you ever did. And if you're not the type of guy that's okay with that, you're in the wrong place. And uh, I was the type of guy that was okay with that. You know, it's like, uh, and, and I grew to be more like that um, where, and, and, it, and it actually plays itself out in our stuff with art, Byron, because we rescue a lot of kids and we let everybody, a lot of people take credit for it. I mean, I can, we laugh. Sometimes we'll see people and there'll be a newspaper article and somebody talking about the kid they rescued. And we're like, going on, wow, I don't remember seeing them there. <laughs> <laughs> well, God bless them. <laughs> you know? but, but it's okay. And, you know, if we can rescue a kid and give credit to law enforcement, and then, and, and it builds the strength in the community um, between the relationship between law enforcement and the civilian market. I'm, I, I'm all about that. You know, I, I think it's, it's kind of cool to be kind of that, uh, I don't know, have that kind of Zorro attitude, yeah. you know, that Avenger attitude where you just hide behind something, you go do the good deed and you come back and no one knows you did it. I think that's great. Yeah. I'm with you. I always told, I told, I told uh, a friend of mine, we were talking, he's, he's done very well financially. Uh, he he's works for Merrill Lynch. And I said, uh, he said, what if, if you could have all the money in the world, he goes, what would you do with it? And I said, you know what I would do with it? I'd go do good things for people and they'd never know who did it for them. The kid who needed to go to college, his college would be paid for. The little yeah. old grandmother that has, is taking care of her adopted children, she'd get a car you know, and this and this and this, uh, you know, I, I would just so, you know, just silent, great deeds would be, how cool would that be, right? That'd you know? be awesome. That, it's awesome. The thing, the thing about good deeds is people think, I feel like people are afraid to like kind of reach out and do them sometimes, like they're giving up something, they think they're giving up something. But what they don't realize is that when you really start to bless people, it's like, priceless what you get back in your whole life like everything's brighter your whole entire life is improved by this the ability to do these things it's like you're right it's literally a priceless thing you experience in return and um 
So yeah, man, it's 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 something I want. I want more people to just step out and do. Try to put a smile on someone's face. Yeah, you know, because you it be it can become. You can almost get addicted to it. You can be like, you know what? Let's go. Do, it, it it changes you. Yeah, it's so positive. It does. It feeds your soul. And and I know that I know the organization. I came out of the agency. And I look. Mm-hmm. In all fairness, there are a lot of bad people that have come out of the agency. But there's a lot of good people that too. Look, John Brennan. I'll boldly say it. I consider him a traitor and he was director of central intelligence. And guess what? His number's going to be coming up here pretty soon with all the stuff that happened in Benghazi, um, him and other people, you know, that were, that were complicit in that stuff. But outside of that, the agency as a whole, there's a lot of great people. And there's those great people that taught me that humility, um, you know, and taught me to do those deeds in secret. And, and, and let somebody else take credit for it. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So the agency did that for me, I think. Awesome. That's a powerful, um, it's a powerful kind of principle to use inside a team too. That's something I teach at my school to, to executive protection agents. It's like, no, man, you move the credit to the team, push the credit to the leader, keep them healthy. The stronger the team is, the stronger everybody is. The stronger your leader is, the more influence they're going to have and the stronger you all are. And it's, yeah. It's remember, remember in boot camp, you, you got your weapon and they may just go through that whole thing about my weapon is my friend. And also, yeah. well, remember this, they always said, you take care of your weapon, your weapon will take, take care, care of you. Take care of you. Yep. 100%. It's the truth. That's right, man. So, um, same thing with your people. You take care of your people. I believe great leaders, Byron, are here to serve our people. That doesn't mean you don't take up your leadership role and you have to be a decision maker. Um, you have to lead, follow, or get the heck out of the way. But yeah. I believe that you, you pursue your leadership with a servant's heart and you always look at your people and say, and, and what I do if, is what I'm doing, if what I'm doing is making their lives better in, in so many ways, education or lifestyle or whatever it may be, uh, then I consider myself a good leader. You know? yeah. Because you know this as well as I do. Look, when God calls us home, someone else is going to fill the slot. Yep. So to go. you've raised somebody up that will take your place that will be that same type of leader for the people below them. Yeah, 100% and keep that lineage going. Yeah. That's that's good stuff. That's deep stuff. What would you say about um, kind of the state of our kind of homeland security with regards to everything going on in the media and these groups and uh, the elections coming up? <clears throat> Well, I think that there's, I think that we have managed over the last number of years to do this to ourselves. to be mm-hmm. honest with you. Um, you know, we don't teach constitutional law. Uh, somewhere in the last couple of administrations, probably starting with Clinton's administration and, and forward, you know, we, we started not teaching history uh, for, for as it was. We started changing history. We started mm-hmm. making stuff up. So we took civics out of school. We took, you know, social studies out of school. And so people don't know how government really should work. Um, we, you know, it, we took so many things out of the educational system. Um, and I say we, a, a certain faction of we decided to do that. And I believe it was orchestrated to a certain degree to get us to where we are now. Um, you know, coming from an organization that is skilled in overthrowing small governments, and definitely from a, uh, as a time in the agency when I fought in the Cold War, mm-hmm. I know socialism also well. I know the push for communism. So 
globalism is just another word for socialism and communism. And so the administrations prior to that, starting with probably three, three main administrations, Clinton, Bush, and Obama's administration, all managed to push us towards a globalist uh, platform where we weren't teaching people to be good Americans anymore. We were teaching people to be, we are the world. And that opened up a door for where we are now with the push for socialism. You know, guys like George Soros and George Soros Jr. funding things. Um, and so um, I think that where we have now come to is a place of what we call insurgency. I think that what you're seeing taking place in America now are, are very strong backed insurgencies by globalist players that are bound on destroying the United States. I'll give you some examples of that. Um, like um, you, can call, you can call a group whatever you want to call a group. A group can have any name it wants to have, but its actions are what we look at, what it's doing. Um, when I look at Antifa and I hear people like uh, Joe Biden say, it's just an idea, particularly after I just got out of the Denver Patriot rally and a veteran was killed by an idea. Yeah, yeah. An idea, right? A gunman, you want to call him an idea, but he has strong ties to BLM, Antifa, Occupy, you know, all of that. Then all of a sudden, I think that they don't understand and they should, but they don't understand exactly things that how you defend a nation. Now, Homeland Security, right. I believe does. And I think Homeland Security <laughs> is trying to find its place on what it can and cannot do legally. Um, but what's interesting is that we, we try to keep everything, our reactions in a legal lane because we wanna be a civilized nation. We have a judicial system. Um, in third world countries where you have insurgencies, it's not like that. No, you know, it's not. <laughs> I mean, Communist party you know, versus the whatever party is gonna be. I mean, those guys are fighting it's a war. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's blood exactly. spilling in the streets. People get yanked out of their beds at night. <laughs> exactly. So it becomes uh, it becomes close to war. And uh, last time I was at a meeting up in Washington, uh, I actually heard conversations from some uh, pretty pretty powerful people that were talking about how they feared that we were on the brink of civil war. Um, and they weren't talking. Get this, they weren't talking about race wars. That's not what they were talking about. They were talking about civil war between the, the country, you know, of split, like where you see now socialist Democrats and Republicans or conservatives, they're talking about that kind of war. So um, how did that end, end up playing itself out is when the globalists started ushering in a lot of strife, for example, most people don't know the number of Ukrainians that came into the United States or allowed the United States. And most of, many of them are part of Antifa now. They don't understand that Antifa has its roots in the Nazi party as of this day in Germany. They, don't, they haven't seen the Antifa fighters, war fighters with their flag with AK-47s and all their battle gear, like what we wear. So yeah. people kind of think it's like, it's some kids, some hipsters running around. Exactly. And then we deal with BLM. You know, when, when BLM has openly claimed to be a Marxist organization yeah. that has vowed to destroy the Constitution of the United States. And, and the so, nuclear family. Uh, and the nuclear family. So what happened was um, they were very smart when they created their name, BLM, Black Lives Matters, because if you say, I don't like Black Lives Matters, what people hear is Black Lives Don't Matter. 
It's, yeah. it's psychologically, it was brilliant. It's brilliant. Say, it, and I only know this messaging because I did it in the agency where you try to find just the right sentence or just the right uh, title for something so that, you know, and so here we have an organization that uh, is running under the cover of a name that most people, if they don't research, they don't even know their Marxist organization. They don't know what they claim. So if you take them, you take Antifa. Now let's take the other white, let's take the supremacist groups that are Nazi bound tied also. And then we're going to take the communist party. That's part of all of that. I mean, you just have a hodgepodge of people, but you have to ask yourself this, how are they organized? Well, get this, a number of major corporations, including the bank of America gave millions of dollars to black lives matter this year. Right. Now, that money got filtered down to Antifa, okay, mm -hmm. also, and to who else? And the Communist Party, okay, and the list goes on because we're following the money, right? So right. the question for me is, wait a minute, if the Bank of America gave that much money to an organization that has threatened the Constitution of the United States, how come the CEO of the Bank of America isn't being arrested for insurgency or treason or whatever you want to be, you know? Right. So what happens is we have gotten ourselves to a point where people go oh well it doesn't matter who it is if it's the kkk they're okay they're allowed to say their thing if it's black lives matter they're okay to say their stuff about uh socialism oh if it's antifa they have a voice also so we've gotten in our society where they have these organizations have pitted people against people on issues that don't really exist and i bring that back mainly because of the race issue. Look, anybody who's anybody can go to Portland and watch Antifa and watch BLM. And, and this is what's funny to me. Okay, so look at the people that are, are rioting and burning stuff down. They're of every race that you can think of. So absolutely, wait, something's like not right here. Something's off. Thing. So it's not about that. It's about insurgency and it's about destruction. And I believe if we haven't already uncovered it, I believe that the Socialist Democratic Party has a finger in the cookie jar, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. I believe it's to stir up, just like the globalists have said, to cause division in America and cause people to, to see something that doesn't exist there. You know, we know this to be yeah. true because, and you've heard me say this, I, I just... What's I've that? seen this stuff happen in other countries. <laughs> like I'm sitting here going, I like know. it was like months ago, I made a video about the American ideological, like an insurgency. And I'm talking about like what I'm seeing and I'm like, you know, yeah. I'm trying to figure out ways to get Americans to wake up to what's yeah. happening. Cause the next chapters of the things like this get right. really bad. <laughs> really bad. Look, we've been there. We've been in the middle of civil war. Yeah, it's People like, here have no idea. Everything. Right? Everything that we hold sacred and beautiful will be destroyed. Look. Destroyed. If, yeah. And it's yeah. like, once you can't have conversations with people, that's when things are really getting destabilized. And yeah. I feel like the media is like just making everyone such enemies. But then I talk to someone on the street and it's like, we agree on 90% of things, but we maybe disagree on one or two things. That should be like, I like the Seahawks and you like the 49ers, not you know, I'm a xenophobic, horrible, you know, you know what I mean? We're exactly. in combat now. I will tell you this. I'm thoroughly convinced now. I'm, I'm not a Republican nor Democrat. I'm just right. a patriot. But I will tell you that Me I'm going to vote for, I'm going to vote for the Republicans this time. Uh, I did last time as well. But I will tell you that many of us as patriots are looking at 
the potential outcomes of the election. And this is what I believe could unfold. If Joe Biden gets in, and if he survives, if he dies, Kamala Harris will get in, of course. But God bless it, yeah, God help us. <laughs> um, and uh, but if Biden gets in, and there's a division in the military, okay? Yeah, there will be. Oh, there, yeah. there will be. We know that. Um, what will happen is Biden will have no choice, based on who he is friends with, to call in the United Nations. Yep, to bring in the UN. Bring in the UN to help quell riots. And he'll bring in, and the Chinese, as you know, there's probably, Trudeau already cut a deal with the Chinese, the Chinese Communist Party. They are in just north of Vancouver. Their military is staging in Canada. It's weird. It's like, what's up with that? You know, what are the Canadians going to do about that? And Trudeau's like, they're here to protect their investment. What's their investment? What is it? Is it a military base? Is it, but nevertheless. It's all the real estate they have here. They're up there. So, you know, could we have an invasion? And yes, we could have an invasion. Once the UN got got to on our soil, you know what's going to happen? We're going to we're going to go after them. People will fight. We'll fight to get the UN off our soil, and then you will see that civil war that we're talking about. But Biden and Kamala Harris will have the globalists to back them. And guess who else? Other countries will come into America. Yeah. And eventually, what will happen to the United States? It will be divvied up. Yeah. It will be divvied up, not just under martial law. And this civil war won't be a civil war like you see in the movies where people are just shooting across the valley at each other. You'll see 500 pounders drop from jets, from UN jets. You'll see tanks rolling in. You'll see your shores for the first time. You know, California will see ships unloading, like, who knows, the Chinese army or the, or, or the Russian army or whoever it may be. And we will be in the biggest, I mean, I don't, I can't even imagine. Yeah, all the angst and all the hate and everything the world has for us will into the country. That's exactly Absolutely. Yeah. And And, I don't think because, yeah. (laughs) I don't think it's it's like, and they don't get it because they think that what they're seeing happen in Portland and Minnesota is like, oh, that's just happening there. It's like, Okay, well, well, you better stop it because it's yeah. in your town. If they think they can tear down statues there and burn buildings, and well, what makes you think that you're you're immune from that? That they can't come to your town and do that too? Yeah, and, and you don't even know who they are, you know, you know, or whatever. So when we, uh, you know, we had this shooting in Denver this weekend. That kid, and you can see his, uh, you know, he Channel Nine news station uh hired him to protect their camera person right their producer kid didn't even have a license to carry a weapon didn't even have ccw who did the background investigation right and the kid has ties all the way back to occupy and antifa and blm and the communist party so now we're finding out that at least i heard and i haven't seen the evidence but i'll tell you what i what someone told me is that the owner of nine channel nine news station actually organized the communist party that was protesting and blm and antifa that was protesting and they actually hired this kid with them byron you cut you come you know you have a great military background if you had been there you would have seen the same thing i said it looked like they staged for an assassination yeah yeah and they said they had already promised they were going to get one they were going to get one of them 
and yeah. they cut one of them. So, or at least uh, stage the type of incident that they could leverage to cause more division and discord, you know? And now we want to get veterans to fight Antifa to get this battle started in the streets. And so we're, they're trying to tease us out. And I'm just like hoping everyone stays smart and peaceful yeah. as long as they need to. For the, it, it takes need. discernment, you know, it's, yeah. and, and we need to really figure out what things we need to stop and yeah. block. And I think a lot of now being a patriot is really just speaking out. Like, I think there's so much of it is just not cowing to all these ideas and all these socialistic ideas. I think it's, it's even now, you know, a lot of the battle needs to be just people being like, no, and I don't agree with this. And we stand for these values. And a lot of the silent majority or good people taking a stand for what they believe in and not getting pushed around by all these, uh, uh, like these media psyops, <laughs> you know, and these phantoms that they're trying to get us all to believe in, yeah. you know? Well, um, I believe in freedom of speech and, you yeah. know, and we have to have that. And, but your voice, whether you're a socialist or communist or whatever, I don't care if you say I'm gonna destroy the constitution, you have that right in our country. But when your voice starts burning down buildings, when yeah. your voice starts killing people, when your voice starts destroying property, when your voice starts, then guess what? You don't have a voice anymore. Yeah, you wrote it. Now you've gone across the line and that's when patriots have to stand their ground and right. say enough's enough. And sadly, what I, what I feel is going to start happening if it's not already happening, is the American patriots of this country, the law-abiding citizens are going to just start saying, guess what? Your life is now on the line, boom, you're gone. And mm -hmm. they're just gonna start shooting. And they're just gonna start taking people down. I've seen this and so, I've seen it for 30 years in third world countries. You've seen it before too. Yep. You know, that's where I'm sitting about like it is Most of the Americans, they, they keep saying the, that the patriots are right-wing. They're not right-wing, they're in the center of the country. Watching that's this whole thing go, you, like watching both everyone, both sides, and that's trying right. to bring accountability if needed. Basically, that's exactly right. So, but you know, I, I, you, the, the the people that most of the the conservatives are, they are just saying, look, I, I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not doing anything to you. Don't, don't damage yeah. anything. And yet, the left is just destroying and destroying and destroying. So the question <laughs> is, when do you say? When does Byron say, you are not coming in my house and you're not harming my family? Right. You know, or when does Byron say he's driving his truck or his car or whatever, and all of a sudden he's stopped by a whole group of Antifa that are armed and they're yeah. pointing their weapons at him and he runs them over with the truck. So right. what's happening is there's a lot of, a lot of people are instigating. They're instigating right. against really normal people. But um, I think we're at a tipping point um, where, you know, we're going to see people start fighting back physically now, to be honest. With you. I mean, look, this, I find this kind of interesting. I think the, the governor of Minnesota, or is it Michigan? The, that was almost kidnapped Michigan, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Michigan, I believe. Yeah. Um, she started out by saying this was a militia group and, and the FBI said too, and Donald Trump is to blame only a couple of days later to find out that it was Antifa. Yeah. Not a militia group. Yeah. I mean, you know, and so like, you know, why, why did she do that? Why, you know, it's just, 
politically charged so that right. she could blame the president. And the president tweeted and said, well, I guess you should have said thank you, you know, for us saving your life, basically, but <laughs> you chose to. Yeah. But it wasn't, it wasn't the militia. It wasn't any militia. It was Antifa, you know? So I think that when we come to those people stirring the pot, um, there's some very smart and very well-trained uh, surgeons, investigators, surgeons mm -hmm. that are in this. And look, law enforcement, some law, some law enforcement around here, they're not even ready to deal with it. I sat down no with idea. a meeting. No, I sat down in a meeting with uh, some officials, law enforcement officials, at both the state and federal level. Mm -hmm. And I said, uh, did you guys ever? Uh, did they ever disseminate the confidential information we got from the 2015 Baltimore riots that was signed by? George Soros Jr. on how the money is moved and how we organize the rioters and how we do communications and, and covert communication. I said, you guys ever get that? And they sat at the table and went, we've never seen that. Now, of course, that was on Comey's watch, of course. But yeah. so I pulled it out. It was like nine pages of stuff. And I had it and other people had it. And they read through it a little bit. And it was an education for them. And I said, look, if you're going to, if these people are in your town and you're going to guard against to. them, you need to know how they work. Totally oblivious. Had not, not been given the opportunity to learn it. Now that's a leadership oh. problem. That's yeah. not their problem. <clears throat> that's because it didn't get handed down. So this is what we have. We have a lot of people that think they know what's going on. Right. They don't know what's going on. Yeah. And a lot of people fool by this kind of zeitgeist kind of situation. Yeah, no, it's, 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 uh, it's very interesting. I, I've never felt this way about things, you know. Um, interesting times. Interesting times, and we're here for a time such as this. There you go. It's Amen. really the game, you know. Yeah. Um, your book, uh, Something Bigger Than Overthrowing a Small Government, uh, which is just such an awesome name, right? Uh, yeah. What would you say about it? What If you were going to describe it uh, to people, what is that body of work really all about? It's 520-some uh, it's pages, uh, which is pretty thick, which you could use to stop 9-millimeter rounds if you put them <laughs> in there. Intentionally designed for that, of course. It's my journey of how I went from uh, being a, a former spy to an extreme humanitarian and rescuing kids and God's fingerprint on me through the whole way. Um, revelations um, and resolutions uh, in this uh, journey uh, to save more kids and basically being very bold about the truth, the ground truth of what takes place. And at the same time, you know, it points out some mistakes that I've made along the way um, so that others would not make those mistakes. I like to think it's a map for those who want to get involved in rescuing children so that they can learn from the journey, learn from what, what I've already gone through, so to speak. Um, and then from time to time, hopefully there's some humor in there. Um, but uh, so far we've gotten, I've gotten great results. People have thanked me for it. Um, I think it's a, it's not just a good read. I think it's a great education to be honest with you on how you stand your ground in the midst of a world uh, that will totally disagree with you when it comes to holding the moral line and doing what's right. Um, I think that at the end of that, you come out a braver, a braver warrior, 
and you realize that um, it doesn't matter if you're standing alone. You've heard me say it before. I think the book sums it up in that one man or one woman with courage is a majority. And I think when it comes to rescuing kids and maybe, maybe with anything you do in life that's good, because I think we fight in a world now that we fight principalities of darkness right. and evil. I think we fight a spiritual war, world that uh, whether people believe that or not, it doesn't really matter. Look, God doesn't need your belief or your disbelief to exist. And neither right. does Satan. You know, like air exists. Do you see air? No. Right. It's there. You right. know? So, so for all those wankers out there that go, well, I don't believe in God. It's like, well, okay, you don't have to. Right. That's great. Well, I do. I do. It's like gravity. And, yeah, like <laughs> gravity. Exactly. <laughs> And, you know, um, and so I think that the take, you know, if we talk about takeaways is that, you know what, stand your ground, stand your ground and do what's right. And, and, and for us, it's rescuing kids and for somebody else, it might be something else. And there are people that go, well, well, there's a lot of rights. No, there's not. It's just like people go, well, there's a lot of different truths. A lot of people could be, it could be no, that's not true. There's one truth about a lot of things. And, yeah. and, 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 and people go, well, you know, you, you have, you should be tolerant of everything. It's like, no, I'm not. Look, Absolutely I, don't, not. I don't tolerate lazy people, man. Yeah. I had no. somebody, my, I, one of my buddies said, well, I've never, I never thought you were prejudiced. I said, I am. I'm prejudiced against lazy people. <laughs> like my, my thing is weakness is the worst thing. And if anything wrong in your life, you can trace it back to weakness. Discipline is the medicine, man. That's on the same exact way. My parents used to talk about being lazy as if it was a disease. <laughs> like, it was, like those lazy people over there, it was like those lepers. <laughs> you know, that's the way we used to. <laughs> well, that's you know, lazy. They'd say it was scorn. In their uh, <laughs> that's true. Oh, so good. Well, you know this as well as I do. How you do anything is how you will do everything. True story. Just be faithful. And I don't know if that comes from our Marine Corps training or whatever. And look, I have great compassion for people that things have gone wrong in their life. And I know that. And, and, um, and I think that those people need to be helped. Um, But I think they need to be helped to a a degree. And what I mean Mm -hmm. is look, my granddad was an immigrant here and um, he, he worked three jobs. Nobody gave him anything. Um, my grandmother, same way, you know, and uh, we, they grew up in the depression, extremely poor family, um, and they worked their way. And my grandfather always tried to instill in his kids, look, be better, be better than me and, and never be lazy, you know, and how you do anything is how you're going to do everything. And so, you know, the strongest steel is sharp, you know, is, is sharpened than the hottest fire, you know, and, um, and all those things. And they weren't just words. They were, they were, they were, soul, they were soul food, you know, yeah. soul, you <laughs> so know, that, uh, that created, that built your character. They were the building blocks. If you took them, I mean, if you were a, a smart aleck kid and you thought, oh, what is that old man now? Yeah. It'd go in one area and out the other. But mm-hmm. if you knew wisdom and you yeah. grasped and you held on to it and you fed on those words all of your life and they yeah. built your character to the point to the point that no matter how many times you got knocked down, it was how many times you got up to counted. Yeah. And guess what? You become something. So I'm all for That's helping so people, but when they don't want to help themselves, when you've given them opportunity and opportunity and opportunity and they, you know, they're like, well, I, I'm just going to let people give me stuff, you know, look, that's why I'm not a big, look, there's a point for welfare to a certain degree, but I'm not a big 
big believer in like people living off of welfare. If I were the mayor, if I were the mayor of a, of a town, I get rid of all my street sweeping machines and the people that didn't, that were homeless, I'd say, here, here's your job. You just sweep this block every day. Yeah. This block and you get a bed and you get fed and you get a shower and maybe even get an education, but you're working, you're working for your, you're earning what you work for. And it instills something in people and it gets what it gets rid of laziness, you know? So, yeah. And yeah. I think it'd be real interesting to see which ones of them choose to work and which ones of them choose not to, and they choose to still be homeless. Cause yeah. uh, that's really the conversation in a lot of places, man. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Well, and you, you keep this key word by choice. You're right. Yes. We all have a choice, mm-hmm. you know, and sovereign. Look, I tell people all the time, any of us, you, me, we've had moments in our life where we could choose to be a victim. Mm-hmm. We could, we've been oh, wrong. 100%. Right? I mean, I've had things done to me that I just like, I just like, I look back and I go, I would never do that to somebody. Why? Yeah, I mean, and that's why you didn't see it coming. Those are the ones that get me. Yeah. <laughs> I have my buddy now who's a little more, one of my good friends, and sometimes my wife will be like, you really believe them? And I'm like, I don't, I don't lie about things. It's like this little blind spot I have. So I'd be like, I think, I just believe everybody's like me. You know, and I have people around I, me now yeah. that are like, <laughs> well, and I had to learn that the hard way. Yeah. And, um, and so because of that, you know, it's like, you know, it, it, it makes you smarter, but you know, I had a choice to not be a victim and I was, a little, and I was a victim for a little bit until my dad just may said, you know what, you're not going to be a victim. He said, yeah, we're not you know, doing that. stop your crying. He goes, look, he goes, yeah. He goes, so you didn't see that. You couldn't. And he said the same thing because you wouldn't do that to somebody doesn't mean they wouldn't do it to you. You just need to be smart and remember that, but you cannot be a victim all your life. He goes, you're going to go through life. And he said, I mean, there's things that you're not going to understand Yeah. in life. He you're goes, just not going to be able to. You, you said, don't, don't try to understand them. Just get on with your life. And so I think that I think, and it's interesting because we're kind of coming full circle of all that's happening in the United States right now, almost Every single time I hear somebody from the groups that are protesting talk, it's all about the victim. They're all a victim. We're all a victim. The government did this to us. Some of them are 18 years old. And I'm going, you haven't even had time to be a victim. Be a victim. <laughs> well, You've been in your dad's garage. He's been feeding you every day. <laughs> right. And that's why you're out here protesting. Got your bills paid. Exactly. Yeah, by your parents and the government. But the, um, no, and, and it's like they're weaponizing all the victims. They're, they're, yeah. It's the, what the messaging and everything's doing is they're turning these victims into insurgents, which is kind You're of what exactly the insurgents right. That's a great well. way of putting it. They're that's, weaponizing all the victims. That's so good. <laughs> what they're doing to, to literally that's overthrow a, a country. That's the title for your next book right there, buddy. Weaponizing yeah. all the victims. Oh, my gosh. That's exactly what it, what's happening. So yeah. getting back into the, um, you know, rescuing children world here, uh, what would what do Americans need to know about what's going on with regards to you know missing children and sex slavery and, and everything that's happening in the darkness? Well, I think one of the things our country needs to know, actually the world needs to know, like we haven't, I hear people talk about this and they go, we haven't had slavery in this country in 150 years. Okay, right, right. that's true. And we, and Abraham Lincoln, everybody, we, we were on the right track, that's it. Let me tell you something. We have more slavery in our country now than we had 150 years ago. And it's across the board. And it's not a racial issue. It's black, white, green, yellow, you name it. And it's called sex trafficking. And it is 
a business model that is worth millions and millions and millions of dollars. Now, what I find ironic is like, we, we, we made 150 years ago, our nation took all that effort to make sure that that travesty didn't occur ever again in our country. And to a certain degree, it didn't. But to another degree, it did and it's hidden. And when it comes changed. to changed, it, it took on a different face. It took on a business model uh, of prostitution. We've over-sexualized our society so right. much that it got hidden behind that whole pornography, sexualization movement, you know? And then mm -hmm. people went, wow, we can make a business out of it. And then in reality, what we have is slavery. We have it, right? I mean, across the board, child sex trafficking, adult sex trafficking, it's slavery. It is, it's, I mean, that's exactly what it is. People are taken against their will and they're confined or controlled or used or abused for profit. Just, it's crazy. And that, and we have that. But yet, people don't want to look at it that way because they want to, the, the bad guys have managed to, uh, they have a great disinformation campaign out there. They really do. And it's assisted by people that are in elite positions that have got their hands in the cookie jar. I mean, yeah. you know, I've got, I've, I've heard conversations before from people overhearing conversations from people in political positions that would say, well, I don't, I don't see anything wrong with the LGBT wanting to lower the uh, age of consent to 12. You know, children should, you know, explore their sexualization. I've heard those conversations, you know, and or somebody says, well, well, look, I, I look at pornography, you know, it's nothing wrong with pornography, you know, or I mean, the list just goes on and on and on to the point wow. that if you say, look, I have three <laughs> children that are being prostituted um, by this pimp and you were to be in a conversation with a certain person and they would say, well, how old is that girl? And you'd say, well, she's 16. Well, 16, well, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with 16? You know, so this is the mentality. This, and it comes from, it comes from, uh, well, I'll tell you what it comes from. It comes from people not having God in their heart, to be honest. That's really what, yeah. That's what it boils down to. Because anybody that has a good connection with God would understand that children are innocent. And, um, and I don't care what part of the United States they're from. I don't care what family they came from or whatever it is for us, you know, uh, we don't sugarcoat it. You've heard me say this before. It's paid child rape. That's what it is. It's paid yeah. child rape. Now, and, um, and it has, uh, infected and that's a good word for it. It has infected, uh, every bit of our society. Byron. Mm. I just pulled up an article this morning, sadly, uh, a police officer was found guilty of uh, molesting a young child. He only got 60 days. That's it. 60 days. Go figure. So what does that tell you? Something's wrong. Now, I'm not pointing 60 the finger days? at the 60 in some, days? In some, I mean, that's, ex, I mean, that, you know. <laughs> that's like something I would hear about, like, in Bolivia. Yeah. Know, or some, you well, might, and in some of those third world countries, they just would have shot him. Well, the, you know, trust me, I, I'm of the opinion that anybody <laughs> who touches a child probably needs to be shot, to be honest. That, yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm like, kind of like, you know, there's some places he just would have yeah. went missing. Yeah. But, so, you know. Um, but we have a problem with it in America, and um, people are so busy with their lives that it hasn't 
you know, like in 1993, when my associates, my law enforcement associates said it's not a priority. Well, it hasn't reached the priority here. You know, it only becomes important when it happens to your child right. or, or something. And, um, or when it's on the news. What's that? Or when it's on the news. Or when it's on the news. Apparently. You yeah. Know. Apparently. <laughs> and um, I think that, honestly, I think that the problem we have in America is that a lot of Americans' hearts are hardened mm -hmm. and they think it's okay to abuse children. I think, and we know that because we have lawmakers that are trying to change the laws to allow pedophilia yeah. to be a gender, a gender thing, uh, you know, kind of, it's not a, and then it's right. okay that uh, an adult should want to have like sex with a child, you know, and, and that's all wrong. And we know that's wrong. We need to protect our children. They're, they have innocence um, and it destroys them and it traumatizes them for the rest of their life. And yeah. yet we've got this bizarre, evil type of thinking um, that is at, at some of the highest levels of our courts, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, it's just wrong. So there's no accountability really. Man. Yeah. That's, that's a quality problem. I feel like really America is under a, uh, there's a values, our values have been destroyed. And I think that's really what's destroyed this nation and done such damage is, you know, you can't create laws to help a sick people really you know and it's it, because exactly. our values have been so degraded and now like all this promiscuity and all these things people don't think are a big deal but there's a reason why you're not supposed to do them it degrades the the quality of the human in some way in such a way that yeah. um they they fall for everything you know it, it degrades that the quality of the society like everything i believe even this was a uh, very systematic uh, deliberate thing that's been done to America to weaken us because you know then every anything goes do as thou wilt and it, it's made us very weak because now it's like we're having conversations and making laws around things that like shouldn't even be we it shouldn't even be mentionable having sex with a kid shouldn't even be you shouldn't even, you should be ashamed to even to even mention it like like you know to, to even mention it let alone yeah. try and make it somewhat legal that's that says to me that the values have degraded so badly that for someone to make a case for this in, in public, you know, it, it's it's uh it's a sad state of things. Yeah, you'll never um, be able to you'll never be able to legislate morality. You right. Can't, you can't you're never gonna be able to tell someone that they're it's they're breaking the law if they don't like that other person or they don't like what they're the shirt that they're wearing, you know. You, we've gone so far overboard, you, you know, and and you're exactly right. It's, it's, you start changing the condition of a person's heart and you won't have a problem with those things, you know, yeah. I mean, you know, and, and I'm a big believer in this. Look, my grandfather was a Muslim who became a Christian. Mm -hmm. And I remember his conversion. Uh, well, not his conversion, so to speak, but he was a very wise man. And I remember walking out of his house to go back to school, like two weeks before I graduated from the Citadel. And my grand, my grandmother had passed away when I was four. Um, and she was a devout believer, a Christian, Native American of roots that, you know, um, just had a real personal relationship with God. She wasn't, uh, in fact, she left the Catholic Church because she, she was seeking a personal relationship rather than tradition. Yeah. And um, my grandfather said to me as I was leaving, uh, my middle name is Hassan. And he said, oh. yeah. Yeah. Said, Good stuff. yeah, I said, yeah, granddad. He said, uh, 
you know this thing your grandmother spoke of? And I was like, no, I, I don't know. And he goes, uh, that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And I said, oh yeah, I remember that granddad. He goes, it is true. That's it. That's all he ever said. Outstanding, yeah. So here's a guy that his wife had been had passed away for many, 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 many years. He didn't go to church, believe me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, black and white television until they finally, he never, I don't even think he had a color television. You know, it was mm -hmm. like a, the old, old kind. And yeah. maybe he watched some uh, evangelists on TV. He couldn't read English very well, but something mm -hmm. happened in his life. And I knew the convictions of my grandfather so well that there's absolutely no way, Byron, yeah, you're like, you're like, no way. If someone would have told you, you would have never believed it. No, he would have never said it unless it was true in his heart. And so I hold, I've held on to that for most of my life. And I believe there was a time when I wouldn't say this, but I'm going to, I'm at a point now where I can unashamedly say this. I believe that the fate of the world rests in the hands of Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior of Almighty God. I, do, I mean, of our God, you know, I believe he is the son of God and I believe all, I believe everything that's biblically written. And I have seen people that when they give their life to the Lord, their whole heart changes. And it's, it's, it's unexplainable to a lot of people, but yet I know it happens. They start acting better, different, they're more compassionate. They learn to love, they treat people differently. The hatred that they had spewed out of their mouth dissipates. I mean, it's just so... I've not known of any other religion, so to speak, in the world that can proclaim that. And, and speaking of that, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, it's funny. You can take every single religious leader out of their religion, and their religion will still exist. You take Jesus Christ out of Christianity, you oh, have nothing. You know why? Because it never was a religion. It was about a personal relationship with the God of this universe. And that's yeah. the difference. And that spiritual component is what changes people's hearts. You look, I mean, historically speaking, not only just Paul, who crucified yeah. Christians, but you and I have friends who were the worst of the worst at right. times, and maybe even ourselves. And you would look and go, that guy is never going to change. And all of a sudden, <laughs> years later, you run into that guy again, and he's just a totally different person. He's right. so nice and kind. And, and you're kind. like, no one, you guys will never know what kind of man he was. That's you're right. like, that guy, the one that you guy right think there. is the nice guy. Yeah, and yeah. You yeah. Swear upside exactly. down. You'd go, he's never going to change. And in fact, you would even go so far to go, that guy's going to die and go to hell. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe God can save him. There's no, yeah, no, I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, and, and to the point where you would even think, he, no one can save that guy. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, yet, you meet him years later, and he's a totally different person. And you're thinking, well, I don't know. Did you come into money? Did yeah, like, well, how did this why, happen? Why did they know happen? about you? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, you know, and you're like. <laughs> and then the guy will open his mouth, and he'll just very, very eloquently or very calmly and, and with so much love go, no, guess what? I found Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus so found me. And you're like, and that's it. And it's like. That's it. He goes, that's it. Yeah. yeah it's like, yeah. boom. So now. I think that the world, the salvation of the world, to be honest with you, and all those people that just don't know him, I wish they did because we would be a lot better off than we are now. And I am thoroughly convinced, and I'll say this boldly too, that there are members of the Socialist Democratic Party, and there may be some in the Republican, that their father 
is the father of lies, Satan. 100%. 100%. I know it, and I know that because God gives us the discernment. And if I were to stand before them today, I would say the same thing. I would say, you claim it would be, you are just like the Pharisees. Yeah. You spout that you know God, and yet you do not. You do not bear the fruit of that. And that was the great thing that God told us. He said, you know, because it'd be one thing to say, how do we determine if somebody's a, uh, really loves God? And God gave us a map. He said, look at the fruit that they bear. If the tree bears bad fruit, its roots are bad. Because if it bears good fruit, its roots are good. Pretty nice formula, man. And you can, yeah. you can use that forever and ever and ever when you meet people. It's like, and it, there's another way. People go, actions speak louder than words. You know, right. so it's kind of the same thing too. So, wow. yeah. That's good stuff, man. That's, that's, that's soul food. That's good. That's good yeah, stuff. Yeah, soul food, buddy. Soul food. Um, if someone wants to start to fight this battle and, and make a difference, where would you suggest they start with regards to the trafficking? and uh, rescuing children. Yeah, you know, uh, I think it's a great place to start because what's going to happen is it's going to take you into a rabbit hole of corruption and evil that will be so undeniable that everything else in the world, you'll, you'll be able to see it differently. You'll be able to see with more than your, your eyes and hear yeah. with more than your ears. It's an experience worth having because guess what? Those children are the future of our country. Yeah. So, you know, we owe it to them. Now, there are going to be a lot of people that aren't going to do anything about it, Byron. Right. And there weren't a lot of people that founded our great nation either. 13 colonies and probably two-thirds of those said, well, let's just get taxed out the yin-yang by Prince George and everybody else, and we'll just stay under the, you know, under the British flag. And then there were a few that said, no, we're being no. directed to do something different. So I would say be willing to be part of the few and – uh that's a great place to start rescuing children. Yeah, hundred percent. Awesome. Um, uh, let's see here. I'll be getting into what you're saying, and, <laughs> and this is my next question. We're on the closing questions now. Right. Uh, let's see here. What would you favorite quote as we as we start to exit this stuff out? I just I just I just am am blessed by listening to you talk. I'm not taking an altar call in here. <laughs> the, uh, you know the and you know everything you guys are doing with 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 rescuing children is is amazing um it's something that is a righteous battle i'm so glad that you know god's raised up people with you with your skill set and people to serve um and you know for as a young man i've always asked god for you know, how can I serve his body? And he's always been faithful to give me a, a, an opportunity, which has been interesting being in the church because they kind of teach you, you know, a lot about like, you know, be a good boy, essentially, you know? And, and I always was kind of like, well, I'm a warrior and, and, and <laughs> I know there's a place, you know, and he showed me, you know, this relationship with Dave and, and all these amazing yeah. men to really help me understand. So it's, it's, I, I'm always really, uh, I guess you could use the word touched when I see other warriors and meet other warriors, especially that are farther on their journey. It's like, this is what it can be like, you know, as you stay on this path of, of serving, you know, from this place, it's really meaningful. Yeah. Um, so I just want to say thank you for that, man. Thank you for Love living you. your life in a way to, you know, be here at this point in time. Um, yeah. So last closing few questions. Yeah. Do you have a favorite quote, mantra, saying, no, I, I don't. There's because there's so many of them. There's, yeah. <laughs> there's so many, you know, I, I mean, 
I, I, I always think it's not getting from point A to point B that matters, but what you do between those two points when it all goes yes. up, you know, you know I, I spend a lot of time living by that. I think, um, you know, it's, uh, I, I think it, you know, there's others like at my dojo, um, uh, Ajay Sensei uh, uh, at the Yosekan Budo uh, Aikido uh, in, uh, place that I've studied for years, he would always say, you know, uh, be mindful even when your mind is full. Wow. Yeah. So that's a good one, you know. Um, so, and, and my dad, you know, and my mom, you know, like it's not how many times you get knocked down, but how many times you get up. Get and and, I mean, there's just so many. Yeah, I, yeah. I, it's, one, I wish I could be, you yeah. know, just like one, you know, um, I will tell you this, there is something that I, it's not a mantra, but I do spend a lot of time daily um, in the Bible, Psalms 91. I don't know if you've ever read it, but uh, oh, yeah, it's in my helmet in Iraq. Yeah. For those that would listen to your podcast, it's something that I read uh, daily, daily and try to digest, you know, um, just because guys like you and I and, and our and our buddies, they need it. You know, you need protection. Yeah. You need to know where your strength comes from. And, uh, and so, you know, people sent it to me when we were starting to get into some really gnarly stuff and just said, I think you, I think you should meditate on this, you know, and study this daily. And uh, it came from some good, solid Christians, brothers and sisters. Interestingly enough, in like three different directions, three different people, you know, all in the same day going, Psalms 91, Psalms 91. Okay, yeah, and you, you see like, everything. Okay, like, I get okay, it. I got it. Thanks. <laughs> yes, sir. Thank God, I get it. Psalms 91. So, um, yeah. And then finally, my grandfather, the strongest steel is tempered in the hottest fire. So wow. don't ever complain about when things go bad or sideways. I mean, get into it. Be the first one to run to, you know, and um, – yeah, so there's so many. But thank you for asking. I wish I did have just one. But no, no worries. Uh, it's it's and they always leave when you get asked too. Yeah, they do. What would you, what would you say is the hardest thing, the hardest lesson you've learned out in the field doing this work? I don't know, Byron. Sometimes we we think we make a good decision and people lose their lives over it. It's something we we live with, you know, for the rest of our lives, and um, you know, it just happens. You can't. You can't go down range uh, and get it right every single time. Right. And uh, you always wish that you could take the place of those because mm -hmm. you're the one making the decisions. Totally understand that. Proudest moment you've had in the field doing this work. Every time we rescue a kid, it's great. Every single one of them. <laughs> every time every it's special all over again. Yeah, we have proud, we have proud moments, you know. Um, yeah, they're all, they're all good every single time. But knowing that you went when nobody else would go, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, those are some proud moments. I'm, I'm always proud in the, more than anything, I'm proud of the people that go with me. Mm -hmm. And I love those people more than, more than they'll ever know. Yeah. I'd, I'd die for any of them in a heartbeat. The thing that they would follow me into some, into some stuff. Really, tight situations, you know, yeah. and, and that they trust me with their lives to do that. I mean, those are the guys you want burying you, you know, yeah. those, are the, those are the people that you, you'll never, you could, you can never pay for those type of people. Not, yeah. and, I'm, and I'm not deserving of it, mm. you know, not deserving of it. And I don't understand it, but I'm grateful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I, I, I find it so tragic that not everyone gets to understand what that bond is like. 
you know, like even have any concept of what a relationship like that could be like uh, yeah. without having to do certain things. Mm -hmm. um, that's awesome. How would you like to be remembered, Buzz? Mm. <laughs> I swear this is the last How one. I'd like to be remembered. The last one. Oh, oh my goodness. That's <laughs> funny. You know, that's the last one. Uh, number I don't know. I guess I could always carve on my tombstone. He really lived. <laughs> yeah. Heck yeah, man. You know, uh, you know, I don't know. That's a good question. I never thought about that before. I think that, you know, what's it I think all better, better than, than being remembered is that people would be inspired by the memory. I think that's more important, you know, for me. I mean, if, if, if what they remembered about me inspires them to do great things, then that, I think I'd be okay with that. Outstanding outstanding that's good that's 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 outstanding because that's what i'm that's personally that's what i'm pushing for too man you know some people look at my brand and they're like this guy i'm like i'm just out here to help you understand what you can do what a pretty mediocre dude can actually do if you just apply yourself you know like yeah. just you know what did you learn how to learn how to fling those stones man you know mm -hmm. give god something to work with and just be faithful you know and yeah. Things happen. That's awesome. You said that. And then, um, so what are you up to these days and where can people find you, man? Yeah, you can find us on www.recoveryofchildren.org. Uh, you can always go to basel-boz.com, see what we're doing, you know, in the film industry side of the house, or you can go to Basel, uh, you can go to go to bozbooks.com to see what I'm writing. And, and other than that, they can contact you if they get in a jam and you can call me and we'll go get them out, you know? Zip line about it. Man, it's been this. Sorry to keep you so long. This this is a great That's episode. That's been amazing. Listening to yeah. you, learning from you, absorbing everything you've been putting out, sir. Um, I, I'm glad we're connected. It's the grace of God. And uh, thank you so much for your time and your contributions, you know, to the world and to those people who aren't able to defend themselves. It's righteous stuff. And I'm, I'm humbled just to be able to have these conversations with you, sir. Me too, Byron. We got my number. We'll be in touch. We got some things to do together down the road here. So anyway, yes, sir. God bless you. And you got, you know, you can call anytime, no matter where I am. Okay. Outstanding. And likewise, thank you so much. God bless you, man. God bless. Boom. Yo, if you're a private security professional wanting to take your game to the next level, go to executiveprotectiontrainingday.com to check out my personal success package for private security professionals. Check it out, executiveprotectiontrainingday.com. And remember, y'all, hard skills do save lives, but soft skills get you paid. Boom. Boom. And to support this podcast, go to executiveprotectionlifestyle.com and contribute to our Patreon account. That Patreon account is what helps me make this podcast possible, contributing to this brand, what we're doing here, making it so that I can bring better guests on, making it so that we can plan more events and just expand the contribution to the private security industry and also to make an America a safer place. Do whatever you can, contribute whatever you can because it makes all of these things possible. Thanks for those contributions. Yo, and before we go, you know I got a shout out to the sponsors, starting out with Primary Weapon Systems, PWS. They truly are the evolution of the rifle. Use Byron for 10% off 
Gray Man and Company, the most comfortable tactical suits in the game. Use Byron for 10% off with them. Ballistic Theory. You're gonna start seeing a lot of stuff with me in Ballistic Theory because they got good ammo for good prices. Use Byron for my discount with those guys as well. Last but not least, Executive Protection Institute. Hey, go check them out and get your executive protection education on. Until the next podcast, this is Byron Rogers, protected by nature and by trade. Out. Boom.